0: Black Panther director Ryan Coogler sat down for a wide-ranging conversation in a one-night-only event, presented by Film Comment and supported by Art House Convergence. Watch the entire conversation with Coogler at filmcomment.com slash Black Panther.
1: Welcome to the Film Comment Podcast. My name is Nicholas Rapold, and I'm the editor in chief of Film Comment. This is the latest edition of The Rep Report, our regular discussion of movies showing in repertory houses and new releases. In our latest episode, we're going to talk about the eclectic program of restorations and revivals that's showing at the Museum of Modern Art, called To Save and Project. Uh, we also give some love to the City Symphonies program coming up at Anthology Film Archives plus a whole bunch of other goodies. And then in the second half of the program, we're going to turn to new releases and catch up with some older ones as well. Let's go to our conversation. Welcome to the Film Comment podcast. I'm Nick the editor-in-chief of Film Comment, and this is the latest edition of The Rep Report, the first edition of In the Year of Our Lord, 2019. Uh, and I'm very pleased to be joined by my pals from Screen Slate, who know everything and anything and anything and everything about what's showing in New York and beyond. I'll let them introduce
2: themselves. I'm John Derringer, the founder and editor of Screen Slate.
3: And Nellie Killian, board member at Screen Slate, programmer and contributing editor at Filmcom.
1: So we always start off by wondering, what are we going to talk about? And then there are 500 zillion things to talk about. So it's always an embarrassment of riches. So I'll just start off the year by giving... You know, just a general tribute to all the hardworking programmers out there. And, um, but I, I guess we could start with MoMA's annual To Save and Project program, which is kind of an annual attraction for me. I always look forward to seeing what that... It's kind of moved around the calendar. I guess it used to be in the fall.
3: Yeah. No, I feel like there was like a panic, at least um, at one point for me, where I like emailed a group of friends and I was like, wait a minute. Where's the same for Jack? But <laughs> it's like it's in November. Yeah. No. And um yeah. it is something that is, I feel like, uh, in a city where there's always a film festival going on, it's the one that I'm consistently like the most enthusiastic about.
2: Yeah. Yeah. yeah I mean, it's great. It always has um like an international scope, and there are always interesting sub threads within it that are, you know, sometimes made explicit, sometimes not. Um, but um,
3: I feel like it's also just an incredible um, you know when you're a programmer you're always working with these archives and different bodies that are actually sort of housing the film prints or doing preservation work and stuff and uh You know, this is really a celebration, too, of, like, all of those uh, institutions that, like, you're looking through the list and seeing sort of the variety of organizations that are sort of working to preserve these different threads of film history, some more mainstream, some very niche, some somewhere in between.
1: And, of course, they have all sorts of relationships with archives internationally, so they're always getting interesting things. I feel like they're always getting something interesting from... Like you know, a, a Chantal Ackerman thing. Like every other year, there's some yeah. restoration or other that they're premiering.
3: Yeah, and of course, I mean, because MoMA is such a preeminent um, archive in its own right, and doing yeah. so much preservation work on their own, that it, it is more of a reciprocal relationship that I think any other institution in New York could really have. Yeah. Uh, for a series like this, I mean, safe anthology. Yeah, totally. Yeah.
1: yeah. So one of the treasures that they have this year, of course, is Doris Wishman's <laughs> Doris <laughs> Wishman's Nude on the Moon. Um, which I start with just because it's maybe one of the least, you know, the ones you might least associate <laughs> with the
0: series.
3: Yeah. Well, it's actually it's showing in a, I believe, in a Modern Monday, which is another sort of oh, thread. Really? <laughs> yeah, uh, right. Because Peggy Awash is presenting it um, and it's showing with a film of hers.
2: Uh, the Color of Love.
3: Yes. Which she said sort of in some ways, uh, I, I believe it's dedicated to Doris right. Richmond. yeah, yeah. Um, but Peggy also published a zine, I believe, in the early 90s. Yeah,
2: I, I want to say like 94.
3: Yeah, uh, dedicated to Doris Wishman and Light Industry. It's actually the second publication that they um, have reprinted after Brackage's Metaphors on Vision. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, some full- would say the superior. Uh, yeah. Filmmaker. <laughs> uh, I mean,. I'm full disclosure. I'm also like a board member at Light Industry, but I, I do think it's pretty tremendous. Yeah, um definitely. Sort of follow up to the brackage book, this yeah. uh, zine, which I have not. I've only seen the cover so far, which is beautiful, but uh, sort of Peggy just working through uh, Wishman's work.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. totally. And the I had a chance to see the new digital scan of Me it. Me too. Um, and yeah, I mean, it's incredible to see a film of hers in this kind of clarity. It was done by the American Genre Film Archive, which I think, you know, falls on the side of a more, uh, you know, kind of like DIY type archive. You know, it's not like FIAF certified. Um, they're kind of like the, I don't know, like gatekeepers of film preservation yeah. uh FIAF. Uh, but and, um, I mean, to backtrack
3: yeah. for a second, just for people who might not be familiar with Doris Wishman, since yeah. she is a bit of a marginal figure, um, sort of defiantly marginal figure. Yeah. Um, she uh, is a woman who I believe made her first movie when she was nearly 50 um, after she was widowed and made, I think, 30 movies over the course of 40 years, mostly uh, starting in, I believe, 61 Uh with uh, they're mostly like nudie cuties and some ruffies. Uh, uh, <laughs> I love the old like genre names. Yeah, the, yeah. And um, it's actually interesting because I I actually reviewed a book about women filmmakers yeah. in the 1970s from Four Film Comment in the January February edition, and there's a rationale for why uh, Doris Wishman isn't included in that
1: really what is Uh, that
3: list even though she well i believe it's because she wasn't making films within the studio system although there's other people who seem to have a very tangential relationship to commercial filmmaking but i was like poor doris doesn't even get it (laughs) 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 i mean they they discuss her as someone who's doesn't quite fit the rubric for what they're talking about in this film it makes a certain amount of sense but i was like man she cannot get a break, right yeah. she's on
1: the margins of the margins, yes, yeah. uh, but
3: her movies are i mean they are these kind of dis these very disreputable genres, but I think she has like a pretty interesting point of view, and I, I think there is a lot to sort of re uh, the ways in which like Peggy i think reclaimed some of her work, sort of talking, i believe in nude on the moon about how it, it is the story of a man who i believe uh Sort of similar to Elon Musk, Um, (laughs) uh, finances his own trip to the moon Um, with his
1: with an inheritance from his uncle or something.
3: Yes, and um, (laughs) him and his mate, his co-pilot or whatever uh first mate uh get to the moon which is a sort of lush garden atmosphere with a lot of gold uh, and they see uh you know peer into a crater or something and see this sort of edenic uh nudist colony mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> yeah, I think that yeah. so that's <laughs> about it, really. Yeah, and that's then and then there's song. volleyball, I believe, and like a couple other things. Like once they're in the nudist <laughs> world, but I think you know, similar to the ways that it, uh, I mean, I think it's like less of a, it's not quite as strong an argument that can be made for someone like Stephanie Rothman, who I think is like working mm-hmm. in these exploitation genres and actually like really building a coherent feminist right uh, world within them. Uh, Peggy does sort of look at this Edenic world of naked women and sees like a a real sort of statement by like a women Mm -hmm. director making a film like this, which I think is interesting. And I'm so excited to read the zine.
2: Yeah, yeah. And there's that scene early on in the film where the scientist is asking his secretary, like, you know, he's basically, I don't know, harassing her. Like, you know, you keep staying so late typing, you know, like, what am I to make of that, that you're staying late here with me every night? She's like, I'm just like working on my typing.
3: Yeah. (laughs) I actually, I was watching today. um, So I used to work on New York Underground, Film festival, and I, I unfortunately missed this. But in 2002, they had Doris Wish. They did a retrospective of Doris Wishman's work, and she came to New York. No kidding. And in, I mean, a PR coup, they got Doris Wishman on the Conan O'Brien show. What? Yeah, and she's on with Roger Ebert, <laughs> <laughs> like they're the two guests that night. Oh my and, god! Like, it's actually kind of almost similar to that. Exchange you just mentioned, you know, she's kind of holding court. She's already like in her late eighties. Uh-huh. Yeah. And I think it's she's on there. YouTube. It's yeah, on YouTube. Yeah. I watched it on YouTube. She's promoting a film that she made again in her late 80s called Dildo Heaven. <laughs> and, <laughs> and um is sort of like, you know, she's being like feisty with Conan. And then at one point, uh and then she starts ribbing Ebert for not um listing any of her films is his best of the year. (laughs) And um, he he gets into this thing and he's like, you know, well, I I have to, you know, sort of grill you on this, that you've made two films with Chesty Morgan and when someone sees a movie with Chesty Morgan, they want to see her naked and uh, you have her in these movies just fully clothed. And uh, Wishman is just sitting next to him, like looking, sort of nodding along and then he's like, you know, so, you know, why... You know why didn't you sort of give us the the nude <laughs> shot? And she said, "I'm sorry to have frustrated you," <laughs> <laughs> which is just like the perfect yeah. response. And I think very similar to that of just being like, "It's yeah, that's on you." Yeah, <laughs> it's
2: funny because they, do, I mean, they do have that common connection of you know like the Russ Meyer type of connection where the nudie cutie genre that she started out working in. Something that was, you know, pioneered by like the immoral Mr. T's, and then of course Russ Meyer. Then, you know, gave Roger Ebert like an early screenwriting gig with Beyond the Valley of the Dolls. So, you know, there may be more to that.
3: Uh. Oh yeah, I mean, it seems like something they probably talked about backstage. <laughs> I mean, apparently uh-huh. Wishman had also given him a lobby card or something of Chesty Morgan from uh-huh. one of her films. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was. It, it it's worth like looking up, especially if you're. Interested in just sort of seeing this woman who really she also she blazed her own path in ways that I don't think she, she had connections to the movie world, but she really just wanted to do it on her own terms.
1: Huh. Yeah, wow. Yeah. Well, so that's that's yeah. that is a highlight of, yeah. of Luma's program. Yeah,
3: there <laughs> um, is also that other the restoration of uh American stories. What's the Chantal Ackerman title? Food Family, um, philosophy.
1: Yeah, which uh, I think I saw in the series. You programmed, right? Didn't you program? Yes, I did. Yeah, yeah.
4: that's where I—that's where I first saw it. But
3: I'm missing. Yeah, it's well, it's Histoires de Amérique, my French. I, I didn't. I was like, isn't there an American title? Uh, but it's unusual, even for Ackerman. I think this movie, in some ways, yeah. so it was her first English language movie, um, and she's sort of in. New York with uh, a number of sort of downtown actors, a lot of living theater people, Judith Molina's in it, Esther Balance in it. Um, mm. And they're all kind of telling jokes and sort of stories of their immigration to yeah. America. And, you know, of course, Ackerman has this sort of longstanding, lifelong interest in this sort of reclaiming histories that in some ways she didn't have as much access to because of the Holocaust and the ways in which her mother couldn't, talk about what had happened and this sort of break in history, you know. Mm -hmm. Uh, And um, this is, it's kind of like this incredible sort of just bringing to life this entire history. And, you know, I think of American Jewishness specifically, um, as opposed to sort of the European Jewishness that she um, was raised in that I I think is really, really beautiful. Um, And also there's like a lot of interesting things, I think even with so much of it is joke telling. Yeah. But, like, uh, there's, like, a number of jokes in the movie that you kind of almost get, like, this structural rhythm Mm -hmm. that, like, I feel like, in a way, you can kind of see these connections to Ackerman's work that, like, there's, like, a series Mm -hmm. of... So many of the jokes almost have, like, a who's on first sort of pattern where it is kind of just, like, repeating this thing with, like, small variations. And there is something, I think, very rich in her interest in these sort of... I guess like ways of expression and sort of folk tales that I feel like you can kind of yeah. read into the rest of her work. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, and it's interesting where that kind of also intertwines with, I guess, how dance is kind of presentational thing that crops up in her work as well, interplays with this interest in like joke and monologuing. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, that's so that one's in to save and project, and then I guess we might want to start talking about some other things, but also they just have a few films of um, Barbit Schroeder, um, including The Venerable W, which never got a release for some reason, which I was always puzzled by. So um, MoMA is giving it a week. Uh, that's the one about the genocidal monk in Myanmar. And it's, it's I mean, it's utterly terrifying because I guess to Western eyes, maybe more just because, you know, monks being such a cliche of a certain like serenity or something or um, perspective on society. Um, but here it's just a, kind of a evil genius of, you know, rabble rousing and, and, and rousing people's worst instincts. So it's...
3: I mean, uh, from what uh, I understand, it's sort of that sort of religious um, fundamentalism is right. what's driving yeah. a lot of the, um, I mean, ethnic cleansing that's going on in Myanmar now as well. Yeah. Which is something I, I mean, I do sort of associate with I don't associate with Buddhism, but it makes you realize how little you know.
1: Right? No. Yeah. Yeah. That's that. Yeah. I I, I speak from a a place of ignorance, as so mm. often. But yeah. So that's that's another interesting film of his where he's kind of teasing out some <laughs> kind of sense of evil, or 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 getting very close, getting you very close to something kind of diabolical, or or something, something like that. Um, they're also showing Coco a talking gorilla though, um, <laughs> in which, memoriam. which yes, yeah. in memoriam. Never yeah. um, Which which yeah. I love because it starts with Coco looking at one of those click those things where you, I forget what they're called, where, where you 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 get to click through different oh, little like
2: a view master? a view master, yeah. yeah.
1: And she, and she and she clicks really really fast, but sometimes she stops and just <laughs> and just stares yeah. at one thing. And they're like, Coco, look at this one. This is these are pictures of night. And then she goes click 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 click. And then she just stops for some of it.
3: Yeah. Coco had one of my favorite sort of existential quotes. When All Ball the cat died.
1: Oh. uh,
3: Coco's cat, All Ball, died. (laughs) And they asked Coco if she thought All Ball was in heaven or something. Or where did All Ball go when she died? And Coco said... Comfortable hole. Bye. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So quite a personality to have on film. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs)
1: We should all be so lucky. Yeah. um, There's also
2: um, a portrait of Sterling Hayden that sounds really interesting. There's kind of this whole Sterling Hayden thread, um, but this film, Ferris of Chaos, um, which I've never heard of before. And I think this... Digital restoration showed at Locarno, but it's this is basically um, Sterling Hayden in his late sixties, basically you know reflecting on his life and career. But I, I hear that he just has this incredible magnetism in it, and a lot of self awareness, yeah. and particularly about the, uh, sort of like the the Hueck uh, trials and his regret and remorse over having uh, participated in those.
1: Yeah, I, I I saw some of that
2: film or another film like it at, at, in the Clarno. I, um, I think th- there's another one too that's like based on a m- like memoir or a book. Either.
1: Yeah, maybe that's the one I saw. I mean, it was kind of it's kind of like an essay film, almost. Um, oh, but we're talking with people too, just kind of fleshing out his significance as as like an a consummately American figure, mm-hmm. um, who's you know totally gets totally disillusioned with, you know, the idea of Americanness Um, and some, yeah, there's some really profound things in there. Um, Yeah. Yeah.
2: And then they're also showing it with a new print of Crime Wave, um, Uh Uh which is made from the original camera negative, which is a pretty exceptional circumstance, you know, rather than like um, uh, internegative. So that sounds
3: pretty. And I believe it might be one of the only celluloid. I mean, there's, Peggy Awash is The Color of Love is an archival 16 millimeter print. But I mean, it's been very interesting watching this festival sort of become more and more digital each year. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I believe Crime Wave and People one of the only. I think film.
2: there's a new thirty five from the 30s. Yeah, there's a
3: handful. But I mean, it's just, um, it's becoming rarer and rarer that people are striking. New yeah, totally. Friends. I mean, yeah, yeah. for a long time. But I feel like this was a real, looking at this one, I was like, man, it's.
2: Yeah, I feel like that's probably the the one to see for the you know the kind of the film purists. The It'll be yeah. like yeah. <laughs> yeah.
3: One yeah. other, sorry, not to keep on talking about to save and project forever, mm-hmm. but there's this movie uh, Fajal. I'm actually not sure how to pronounce it, but it's Safi Fay. Oh. Um, who is a filmmaker that. I've been meaning to get into for a while, um, but I haven't actually seen any of her work. But she was like the first uh, women filmmaker in sub-Saharan Africa. And uh, she's like sort of an ethnologist and filmmaker who is making um, work that is apparently like really incredible um, in like the 70s and 80s. And this one, I believe, is her, her going back to her home uh village and sort of uh maybe to help us transition to uh talking about the city symphonies program sort of i believe like dawn to dusk of the sort of activities in the cities it activities the work the play of this village and um yeah i'm super excited to see it i was really happy to see it at can classics in may and now in new york with this series
1: yes so yes city symphonies um the anthology film archives has a series, um, pretty expansive series of of about the city symphony genre, which I guess I don't know, typically considered arose in like the nineteen twenties. I want to say I, I don't know. Just this this sense of the the energy and clockwork, you know, sh- shifting of moods and activity in in a city, and just kind of I guess exulting in in that kind of the force of nature that's in that's in the modern city. And I mean there's there's some in that series that maybe some of us have seen in like film history courses, but there's a lot in there I had never heard of and it also began to make me think what would a city symphony look like now? Like what what would I don't know.
3: That question is answered in this series because uh, a number <laughs> of the films are are quite contemporary. Yeah, it's I I feel like they're in some ways Experimental film has, you know, continued the sort of Cindy Symphony. I mean, it's never. It seems like a sort of a mode of experimental filmmaking that, like, never really uh, went away. Right. But I do think that people associate it with uh, Berlin Symphony of a City, Man mm-hmm. with a Movie Camera, these movies yeah. from uh, the 20s, and these sort of feats of editing um, and yeah. no dialogue, you know, and all these things, but. Yeah, a lot of the shorts programs in this do sort of span um, of basically into the present. Tomonari Nishikawa has made mm-hmm. a number of really incredible sort of portraits of urban environments. Um, Manhattan 1234 is showing, but yeah, he has a number of Times Square films and, and things that are sort of working in that mode. And also there's one film here that, Helsinki Forever, which was made by Peter von Ba.
1: Oh, right. Yeah, I think that's been praised in the pages of Film Comment Once Upon a Time.
3: Yes. um, I saw it years ago, but it is, you know, he's a, uh, he was a um, film historian Mm -hmm. who was, I think, you know, very interested in this sort of early film, uh, silent film, city symphonies, sort of the history of the sort of non narrative. Cinema, And he made, you know, a contemporary portrait of Helsinki in 2008 that very much sort of follows that, mm-hmm. that model and is, you know, very, it's good. Yeah. Yeah. And also, I mean, I love of Time in the City, the uh, Davies movie. Oh, right. Yeah. yeah. Another, uh, I haven't seen Porto of my childhood. That's a Manuel de Oliveira I haven't seen.
1: Yeah, I think I've seen that. I don't know. It's, it's funny about these movies that it's... It's funny how they vary in terms of how much the the author, the director is like there, how much their their how much you take that into account or not. You know, I mean, a lot of them can feel kind of depersonalized, but like something in Berlin Symphony of a City or something. But but yeah, of, of time in the city, it's that's inseparable <laughs> from Terrence Davies.
3: Yeah, well, I think that there is a level of. Um... Yeah, the sort of classical definition of the city symphony, this dust to dawn, or not dust to dawn, uh, 24 hours in the life of the city, sort of, you know, getting into the rhythms through editing of like the pace of city life, its lulls, its sort of excitement, its rushes. And then like, this series also includes a number of these diaristic films that are sort of a person's sort of psychogeography of where they grew up or where they live um, that I think, I mean, in some ways it's it's quite different but I do think you get into these rhythms too of mm-hmm. like, you know, yeah. but it's more guided I guess by personal excitement or whatever. And yeah. then you have something like My Winnipeg <laughs> uh, which is like a fictional yeah city symphony where he's sort of creating this fantastic Winnipeg yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah which I think is sort of an interesting inclusion in the series.
1: Yeah, it's like, yeah, it's this kind of fantastical elaboration on 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 his memories of of Winnipeg, so it's like i don't know it's actually- it's actually it's almost like it's a gra- it's like the movie it's like the movie equivalent of like a graphic novel about someone's you know what i mean it it has that kind of feel to it also the cartoonishness and the you know just i don't know the you know, extremeness of the little, the fanciful nature of it too yeah
3: yeah, yeah. and again sort of getting back to the distinction that I think it's really guided by his love for Winnipeg, yeah. but like also mm-hmm. like to the extent that he's creating uh his own projection of Winnipeg or something yeah. onto the yeah. world, which is yeah, definitely. definitely great. They also
2: have um early films by uh Diop Diop like Contra City. Um and this is, you know, the filmmaker did uh Tukibuki and Hyenas mm-hmm. Uh, which I think themselves have like a very much um, it's like a city symphony type quality to them on mm-hmm. um, that showing on 16 millimeter. So one of my favorite films that's kind of tucked away in the series is Manuel Delanda's Harmful or Fatal If Swallowed, which is I think about as far from the you know traditional City Symphony <laughs> as you could get. And and I think that has, you know, in some of these films we see basically like Uh, like Robert Gardner, you know, going into, you know, India with his camera. And this is kind of like a reverse, I don't know what you would call it, like inverted uh, ethnographic type film of a Mexican filmmaker basically kind of coming to terms with um, New York City. Uh, And it has a really inventive soundtrack and a really, like, you know, disjunctive kind of editing. Um, It's a really kind of brain-breaking type uh, film. (laughs) Uh Uh-huh. Uh, there's also uh, one of Da Pennebaker's really early films uh, is in one of the programs called Daybreak Express. Oh, that uh, used to be in kind of they had that like in rotation at IFC Center. I feel like, yeah, for a while. Yeah. yeah. I remember seeing um, it up there. And apparently, it's yeah. it's like his first thing he ever shot. Oh, yeah. um, and um, it's, I, that's definitely a much more traditional kind of city symphony Yeah. It's the very, Duke Ellington, very peppy. Yeah, yeah, totally <laughs> full of pep.
3: And there's. Um, a whole program of Peter Hutton's work, which is beautiful. Um, if you, I mean, any chance to sort of see it, especially these sort of 16 millimeter prints of um, New York, but also there's uh Budapest portrait, Memories of a City and Lodd Symphony. Yeah, I think his films are incredible. Uh, it's great to have a whole program of them.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah.
3: Just getting back to the preservation things I'm looking at it right now with some of these, the New York portraits uh, being preserved by Anthology Film Archive.
1: All right. So we're sort of already winding down in terms of uh, our time. What else? Are there any quick shout outs you want to do? I, there's also the First Look series at the Museum of the Moving Image uh, starting this weekend, uh, which is a kind of a, a showcase of contemporary film. And it opens with Donbass, which I'm happy to just mention because I, I I saw it at Cannes. It's a film by Sergei Loznitsa, and uh, I mean, in some ways, one of his most successful attempts at at, at I don't know rendering history um, as it's happening. It's kind of set on the border uh, of Ukraine and Russia, and it's hard to describe. It's it's kind of a a, a lurid restaging or a lurid. <laughs> restaging of like actual uh events and actual things that happen in the conflict there um the the border skirmishes and and the kind of overreaches by the military and various forms of deception that go on you know like it's i think it opens if i remember correctly with a staged bombing and then with staged victims as well and all this sounds so out there but then if you actually go back go and research some of it stuff happens you know like people launching missiles in one crossing the border to launch missiles and then pulling moving the missile launcher back so that they can cover their traces anyway so that's opening and um he'll be there it's i think that's that's the first time it's showing in new york so
3: yeah i think there's another loshita playing yes. as well which which one is it
1: um that is is it victory day no then it must be the trial because oh, if it's not victory yeah. day it's, i think it's, it's i think it's the trial
3: they're also showing um there's a number of things I haven't seen there uh, they they're showing two films by Claire Simon, who's a filmmaker who's yeah. kind of perplexingly underscreened in yeah. the u s at this point um it, I feel like there's been like a bit of renewed interest uh, in the last couple of years, but she's just you know making a film a year it seems like and um I don't know much about the new one, but I'm looking forward to Watching it, they're also showing a, a repertory screen of a film she made called *Recreations*. That's sort of a, you're sort of eye level with these children um, during their uh, on the playground uh, yeah. at their school, and it's really sort of getting into this sort of, like I said, on eye level with these kids as they're sort of negotiating the social and like power dynamics of the playground in a way that is really. Yeah really excellent. It really feels like she's, I mean, I think it's hard with kids on screen. They're always so aware of the camera, but like here, yeah. it really feels like they're, she's capturing something really, uh, sort of true to their dynamics. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
1: No, I mean, I, 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 I saw that a, a, like a couple of years ago at, at, A true false uh where she 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 came there and yeah that movie it's it just feels very raw because it, it you're so close to their to their like emotions and already with kids those emotions are just so immediate and and not not yet modulated yeah and and she really she really gets at that somehow unfiltered and and yeah how cruel it can be too but it's not like um, a dramatized cruelty or something because that immediately kind of sentimentalizes it in a way. This is like very weird basic stuff like someone wants to jump but doesn't think she can make the jump and then it's like this tragedy, you know, it's just like it's it's like the worst thing on earth, you know, that could possibly happen and just getting at those extremities of, of feeling when you're a kid as she somehow does that and it's all like it's, it's only like an hour long, right, or something yeah, like that. Yeah, it's pretty short. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, it's it's pretty extraordinary. And
3: speaking of true false, they're also showing two. uh, They're showing a program of short films by Joe Callender um, and Sophie Romvari, who I've seen. Joe Callender is someone who I followed for years, mostly because of True False. That they were showing his work, which is yeah, really. He makes these like very sort of thorny short form documentaries that um, I think are well. I mean, I I almost don't want to give anything away. Um, Uh Yeah. Uh some of them are almost so simple that uh, there's no point. It's like, just see them. Just take my advice and see them. <laughs> and then others, it's, uh, again, to get into the dynamics of what he's doing, I feel like it's almost best to go in cold. Yeah. Um, and I've only seen uh, one film by Sophie Ranvari, but everyone seems uh, really into her latest movie, Norman Norman. And it's about cloning a dog, which I am very interested in. Uh, (laughs) No reason. Or, you know, sounds great. Um, But yeah, her film Pumpkin movie was was really good, um, which I think was another sort of true-false film. Oh,
1: right. Yeah. I think I remember that. Is that the one where it's on Halloween? She's talking with a friend?
3: Yeah, they're Skyping and carving pumpkins and sort of creating these scary stories. Yeah, that's uh, really good. (laughs) Sort of everyday uh, degradation. Yeah, um, that's a good one. You know, lorded over women by their male peers and (laughs) 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 non-peers
1: yeah that's a really really good one
3: and I guess other shout outs yeah Henry James at the Quad. I'm really looking yeah. forward
1: to revisiting yeah. some of those. Mm-hmm. They're, they're just, there seem to be more Henry James adaptations than I knew. <laughs>
2: right. <laughs> I want to see the uh, the prequel to Turn of the Screw uh, from Death Wish director Michael Winner. <laughs> oh, <laughs> wow. Uh, starring uh, Marlon Brando. Oh, wow. What is it uh, called? I, I want to see it's yeah. called something like The Nameless or The the Nomads. Jeez. Uh. The Nightcomers. So Marlon Brando plays like the, you know, the evil gardener uh, who is, you know, a (laughs) ghost. Not to, you know, spoil the most famous horror film of all time. (laughs) But
3: but it's back when he was just a, it's how that gardener. So it's basically, (laughs) it's
2: basically when he's like still alive and like, you know, doing naughty things. <laughs> um, and the he expanded uh, Henry yeah. James cinematic universe. <laughs> yeah.
3: There's also a Kay Francis series at Metrograph yes, Metro that guy. has, I mean, she is a delight. Um, yeah. Like, really, one of the actresses I think I'd most just like to spend time with. Um, <laughs> and she's. Spend time within the sense of watching her on screen. Uh, okay. <laughs> and uh, they're showing Trouble in Paradise and uh, Jewel Robbery. A number of really good...
1: Girls on the Town, is that another one I want to uh, say? Something like that.
3: Yeah, there's, I think they're showing One Way Passage, Jewel Robbery, not Jewel Thief. And Girls About Town.
1: Girls About Town, right.
3: About yeah. Town. Let's Go Native, I believe they're showing. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 And oh, also, I mean, Henry James is just the sort of lace curtain of respectability <laughs> uh, over the quad uh, yeah. as they, I mean, I mean, if you can call Henry James that, but <laughs> right. uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, as they transition seamlessly between rated X and uh, I believe... Two sort of interconnected series about the adventures of Emmanuel. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so, they, did we talk about this
1: already the last time? We did, that. The, the Rated we, X we series. We talked about it, yeah. yeah. Yeah, with all, all the se- all the movies that were Rated X, mm-hmm. like Midnight Cowboy, on to Women in Revolt, which I actually saw um, over the holiday uh, break, mm-hmm. which was a laugh riot. Um, and now they're... I mean, I honestly didn't know there was a demand to see all
3: the Emmanuel series films. <laughs> Maybe a few of them. Yeah. But,
4: um,
3: no, I mean, I I had no idea how much sort of was in the Emmanuel expanded universe or <laughs> yeah, cinematic yeah. universe or whatever. Yeah. That you see um, you. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't even <laughs> know that they
1: were made by the same company. I, I mean, I don't even know that that Emmanuel was like a copyright. Like at a certain point, I think anyone could just make an Emmanuel movie. Did um. um
2: did the Film Society show the uh, Borobchick one? Um, oh.
1: Well, we, yeah, we did a yeah.
2: retrospective, yeah. So, yeah,
1: it would have it shown. I can't that. remember yeah. if that...
3: No, I mean, yeah. I, I joke about the sort of... Um, <laughs> Freaks over at the quad, but uh, <laughs> I, I do appreciate it. I mean, all of these series are sort of chock-a-block with, you know, things that I yeah. want to see, but uh, it is pretty funny. <laughs> they know their audience. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's a,
1: it's a proud tradition, I guess, yeah. at the quad. Well, that seems as good a point as any to end on. A, on, a, on oh, a,
2: oh, I think it should be worth noting that the series runs alongside or uh, used Yakin retrospective Beyond Emmanuel, uh, which takes place February first to the sixth, so there is in uh, fact—no, I knew there
3: was two, like sort of interrelated Emmanuel. (laughs)
2: Yeah. uh, Okay. Yeah. Okay.
3: Things going on there. Yeah. There's
1: there's more than meets the eye. Well, that's a good degenerate note to end. I think. Mm -hmm. I I guess we've kind of been looking forward to things more more than what we what we've seen because there's we're at the beginning of the year, so there's a lot to look forward to. Yeah. Thank you both, and we'll we'll meet again soon. Yeah. Cool. Thanks.
0: In a very special live stream event that took place on November 27th, Black Panther director Ryan Coogler sat down with Film Comment editor-in-chief Nicholas Rapold for a wide-ranging conversation. This one-night-only free screening and talk, presented by Film Comment and supported by Art House Convergence, offered audiences the chance to experience the acclaimed film on the big screen with their local communities. Watch the entire conversation with Coogler at filmcomment.com slash Black Panther.
1: So for this edition of The Rep Report, we find ourselves at a bit of a strange part of the year. Uh, There are a number of less appealing films coming out, but there are also a lot of high-profile films that are still making the rounds or coming out in wider release or getting awards or celebrating their having gotten awards, that sort of thing. Uh, There are also smaller films, and so I hope we'll talk a bit about some smaller films before... Uh, talking about the higher-profile ones. And for this edition of The Rep Report, I'm quite pleased to be joined by a couple of colleagues of mine at the Film Society of Lincoln Center. I'm um, very pleased can join me.
0: I'm Maddie Whittle. I'm Programming Assistant at Film Society of Lincoln Center.
4: Jordan Raup, Digital Marketing Manager here at Film Society of Lincoln Center. I'm also the Founder, Editor-in-Chief of The Film Stage. What I think
1: we should do is talk about uh, some of the smaller releases. I know one of them would be State Like Sleep, uh, which is an indie film that is released uh, and that Maddie actually reviewed in our current issue. So Maddie, this is actually a film that, uh, well, for one thing, I like the title. It's a very good title.
0: It's a great title. And it does capture something of the film, I think. Um, it's a it's really a a sleepy film. It's it's kind of it's kind of a noir, but without the sort of vividness that you might associate with noirs. It's very somnolent. It's like it's a sleepwalking film in some ways. Yes, um, it's it's about a woman who is grieving the death of her husband, uh, who had died about a year before the movie starts, and sort of becomes wrapped up in uh, the mystery of his life and his last days and, and trying to learn about this man that it turns out she didn't know as well as she thought she did. Um, and it's got Michael Shannon in a great supporting role. The lead is Catherine Waterston, and she's fantastic. All of the performances are really lovely. Uh, but the movie, I alluded to this a bit in my review. It, I don't think it quite answered the questions that it set out to answer. Um, and that can be fine, you know, when a movie leaves questions unanswered. But I think there was something about this film that never quite resolved itself for me. I think the movie wants to resolve and it just doesn't get there. And it, it's still, you know, the atmospherics are very strong. And as I said, the performances are very strong. But... Um, it's so uh, it's got it's got some good ingredients there.
1: All right, so that's state like sleep. Um, I I the and then the heiresses was another movie. That,
0: yes, yeah. that one's coming out uh, a that's little bit Argentine later. In, movie, right? Yes, and it's it's uh, a bit later in January the release. Yeah, film forum. Film, film forum. forum. Yeah. Um, that played the festival circuit last, last year. And that is a a really beautiful film. Also, in some ways, a sleepy film, uh, (laughs) but in a different register. It's less noir and more sort of family drama, Um, but still feel, in the same way as as State Like Sleep, it's got a little bit of the feel of walking through a dream. And that one's about a late middle-aged woman uh, who her life partner is imprisoned on fraud charges because they having financial difficulties it's a little bit unclear what exactly has gone down but some kind of shady accounting has landed her her wife in prison and the protagonist uh Chela has to sort of come into her own uh as a result of being left behind mm. and it's i think it's really moving and in some ways it's it's funny thinking about it in comparison with state like sleep there are certain similarities there now that i'm now that i'm in, the, in retrospect putting uh-huh. them side by side
4: yeah. i believe the lead actress won um, the best actress prize at berlin all right. last year too oh no kidding um,
1: she's incredible and we, we should be having a review of that shortly on the website Spoil alert for our website um, i i have a small film just to contribute to the pot of small films from the director of hellaware the movie is called Job's World. Uh, and Job is is spelled J O B E apostrophe Z. I'm I'm not sure how I ended up watching this movie exactly. Uh, I guess I was a little curious because I was amused by Hellaware, uh which was a kind of art world satire. Job's World is about a uh, kind of a just roller rollerblading drug dealer uh who shares like a a, a basement apartment with a club kid, I guess. And it's basically mostly consists of him going around town and having a depressed monologue with himself. Uh, there's a general, like, uh, intergalactic frame to it because uh, he's contemplating the skies a lot. Um, and he's played by an actor who has a, a, a strange but kind of absorbing affect, um, just constantly seeming beleaguered. Um, and, and uh, yeah, he goes to this B-movie actor and brings him a fix... And they have a conversation and things happen, Um, which I guess sort of happens in Halloware as well. They have like a fake celebrity. I mean, there's an idea of fake celebrity in in that movie as well, which is always weird when movies do that when they like make up a star. Yeah. So that's that's Job's world. Um, I don't know that I can say much more about it, but it was it was funny. I mean, it's very short. Yeah. What
0: what kind of release is it getting?
1: A modest one, I think. (laughs) But it is it is coming out and has a it has a publicist. So yeah. <laughs> if you wanna have wanna have something else to consider besides Aquaman or something, you can watch Joe's World. There I inadvertently created a pull quote for the movie. But speaking of the bigger movies, I don't think we've talked about Green Book on the podcast. Maybe we have, but Green Book is a movie. It has been confirmed as such <laughs> <laughs> with awards wins and things. Jordan Tell us tell it to us straight. What, what did you think of Green Book?
4: Yeah. So um before this movie came out, it kind of was positioned as, you know, Peter Fairley's big drama and um, you know, it won at TIFF the top award there and, and as it head into the season, um, you know, people were kind of excited at the prospect of him kind of going into new territory. And you know, after seeing it, I think it kind of completely fails in that aspect, but it does, I think, work on a very basic level as a kind of ridiculous comedy. Um, these are all, I mean, if you probably know the story by now, if, if you're listening or paying attention to Twitter and and the various uh, um, fires that they've put themselves into, uh, everyone involved in the production, it seems like. But um, yeah, it tells the um, purported to be true story of um, Tony Lip, this kind of very brash uh, Italian guy from the Bronx, I believe, who links up with Don Shirley, a very high class artist uh, who is, you know, hanging out with the likes of the president and other things like that. And uh, he must protect him on this road trip down south. Um, And this is in the um, 60s or 50s, uh, I believe that era where it's kind of dangerous for a black artist to be going in this treacherous um, area.
1: Yeah, that was one of the most interesting things about we was learning about The Green Book, which I was not really familiar about, this kind of, you know, rough guide to the segregated South uh, for for black, for, I guess, travelers of color generally, which, I don't know, just that fact alone was such a, I mean, just necessarily practical, but yeah, just deeply saddening reality that that Mm -hmm. a guide like that. Um, kind of only exist.
4: gets brought up in the movie like at the beginning and then never yeah. really discussed that much it's true
1: yeah i guess which is kind of a nice little encapsulation of the movie yeah. <laughs> just kind of using an interesting it, history for its purposes yeah
4: any, anytime uh, and it gets more dramatic it feels like peter farrelly's tendencies as a comedic director kind of come in where he just every scene is meant to please you to kind mm-hmm. of if there's any sort of danger yeah. it's kind of wrapped up in the next 10 to 30 seconds and yeah. there's and and especially by the end where it just everything is completely sugar-coated um yeah. but I did get some pleasure just out of this Viggo Mortensen who just kind of completely transforms for the role and just is yeah. shoving you know uh, full pizzas into his mouth <laughs> and uh, every other kind of food you could imagine and uh,
1: yeah I, that's that's I mean it's weird because I, I I wrote a short review of it I guess kind of I don't know cluelessly that where I just thought you know I said it was funny I mean now I could possibly be shot for doing that um so but what can I say I mean it was a funny little you know um odd couple routine you know basically um which is nothing new but it was still kind of funny but of course I know now that it's a reprehensible film um But uh, that, that, but I mean, it's still it appeals to a lot of people. And, and Tony Lip, he was on The Sopranos, right?
4: Yeah, and Goodfellas. And Goodfellas. Um, yeah, yeah, he had a little career in yeah. the late stage.
1: Which is kind of at odds a bit uh, with the, a bit of the like backstory to, to the film that he's like, oh, this is the story, you know, of, of you know, uh, kind of a naive guy who likes to chum around with people. It's like, no, actually, you know, yeah. <laughs> you know, he had a you know significant acting career mm-hmm. afterwards. Um, yeah, so that's Green Book, and then I think we've each seen maybe a movie, another yeah. movie that we could talk about. I've seen Vice. Mm, I've seen Jordan. Welcome to Marwin. Welcome which to is Marwin. technically
4: a small release now, if, as has been ripped out of all theaters that is playing. In. Has that has that
1: that's come to pass?
4: <laughs> um, it's <laughs> yeah. I saw one of the last showings here in in New York City, actually Hi. one of like the last. Uh, I think it's playing at twelve p.m., like one of those noon showings every day uh, up here, okay. here at Lincoln Square, huh. and so. Yeah, it was me and about and a few others in the theater.
1: But, now, our, our weekly reviewer uh, Mike Strago was a fan of Welcome to Marwin
0: As was Nick Pinkerton, yes. who's another yes. regular. It's he true. wrote an excellent piece on it. Yes. Oh. I
4: I will fall into that camp as well. Yeah. I was quite a big fan. Um yeah, I mean it's yeah. just just this very peculiar strange film. Like he I, I really been, have enjoyed Zemeckis's last few forays into um, kind of taking the stuff he learned with mocap and kind mm. of in the walk, you know, it really there's a that's a huge visual effects film, and Allied has things like that. Flight obviously has the centerpiece um, set piece yeah. there, but um, with this movie, he really, I mean, half of it is him exploring this uh, visual effects landscape, and then mixing it with CG pretty seamlessly. Mm-hmm. Um, And I think it just works. It's a very strange film because just the basic story. It's based on the documentary or based on the story with Mark Hokenkamp, which was also adapted into a documentary. Um, Marwin Marwin Call. Call, Marwin Call, yes. And it's about this um, upstate New York veteran who um, pretty much gets the life beat out of him almost, you know, to death. um, And... Um, af- after he was in the war. Um, and then this is about his kind of recovery process. And he kind of, as a catharsis, he creates this village called Marwan Call uh, that is these dolls that he kind of uses as counterparts in his real life um, and stages them in various World War II scenarios. Um, so that's just kind of peculiar from the get go. But <laughs> Zemeckis actually adds this other layer of strangeness to it. There's a whole sequence where he, he kind of. Um, brings things in his own filmography so there's a sequence that almost recreates back to the future uh which is very very strange and there's this whole other layer where um you know Mark kogan camp has these people in his real life and it's this there's this kind of this dialogue going on where you know he's making these dolls of them but that's not who they are in their real life and sometimes they question him like you're doing these things to these dolls but not to me and and it's kind of this weird dialogue where Zemeckis his whole career you know he has actors actresses he's putting them in situations that um, that obviously are are fabricated and you're kind of wondering what you know what he was trying to get out of that. Um, in this film if he's trying to say something about that yeah. th- with his own life so there's this kind of meta you know, aspect to the movie that I really enjoyed but on the whole it's kind of this the motion of it works I think um, it's definitely not you know Universal marketed as the most original film of the year which is kind of a slogan people use when they don't know how to describe a movie uh-huh. <laughs> um, Right. Yeah. and yeah, yeah. it kind of comes across there's not like a interesting hook to it you just kind of have to go and kind of buy into what Zemeckis is putting out there but yeah. um, I found it pretty fascinating and moving and it'll probably be on VOD very soon
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, when you think about it, how is it that stranger than a lot of stuff that gets yeah. released, you know, I mean, I mean, how is it stranger than you know, any number of superhero movies that have these insane plots, fundamentally insane plots? I don't know that's true.
4: yeah, I guess there's this human level here where that's kind of missing from a lot of superhero movies. so he's <laughs> he is trying to do like a drama like yeah. like, and then it kind of there's these lavish sequences that are just extremely strange, you know, that uh, yeah. that uh, with these dolls that are then come into, you know, no, mocap so wait if, if I yeah.
1: understand you correctly the, the reason it's weird for them to market is because it has human elements
4: <laughs> I think and, and mixed in with this other this other fantasy universe yeah
1: so they no longer know how to market a movie uh, in which there are human elements mixed with fantasy elements but anyway well I still haven't seen it I guess I better see it soon like today, <laughs> like today yeah. um, but it's also like like really widescreen right isn't it or no I uh, seem to remember. Yeah. You what mean
4: the, the aspect ratio? Yeah, aspect ratio. Oh, yeah.
1: I think so. I believe so. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Another good reason to see it in a the theater. And Maddie, you caught up with a film that we gave some, some love to before. Yeah, what, what was your reaction to it?
0: I understand that there was a lengthy discussion of The Mule in last <laughs> week's episode, which I'm very sorry to have missed. Um, I saw it last week, I think a week ago today. I caught up with it. And I thought it was great. I I, yeah, you know. I had a great time. Uh, I, you know, I, I think I tweeted <laughs> that Clint Eastwood is our most politically coherent mainstream filmmaker, which, you know, his politics I don't happen to agree with and frequently find verging on abhorrent, but... Mm-hmm. He tells a mean story and he gives a fantastic performance in this movie. And it's a beautifully constructed narrative that just really sweeps you up in it and uh, yeah. carries you along. And I, I was a big fan.
1: Yeah. It's never too late to discover the mule. Um, actually, I don't know how did that that's done well, I think. Yeah. It's, it's done,
4: making more than Green Book, which Green Book's now the awards, but the mule wow. seems to just be. So where was the mule?
1: I know. It's not that we care. <laughs> even so. <laughs> Um justice for the mule. The mule should be best in show. Um that was a equine joke. Um and then Vice is something I guess I had seen Vice. Um I'm the only one who's seen Vice, right? Yes. Both of you have been spared having to see Vice. I, I was before.
4: interested and then I kind of saw the critical response and I yeah.
1: Yeah. I was, was very excited for it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I I don't know. I guess so. Adam McKay directed the big short before this, um, you know, about like Financial meltdowns, and that was very much a kind of I don't know, a bit of a fragmentary film in a way. Just, but I kind of gave him the benefit of the doubt. This is a film where I just really feel like he's he hasn't really he hasn't really learned how to direct a sequence somehow or a series of sequences in a film. It's I mean it's basically a I'll call it a biopic of of you know of a uh, Dick Cheney starting from. I don't know, more or less high schooler or so, and then going up to, you know, relatively recently Bush administration. But it's 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 just, it's largely just a, you know, impersonation act uh, with a Christian Bale, just who isn't really given any kind of soul. I mean, I guess he doesn't have a soul technically, but doesn't really give a soul to, to to the person he's playing. And the movie itself is just, it just feels like a series of bits in a way, uh, a series of moments. And the you know, he has a framing device that feels like a crutch, which is this guy that has some connection to um, to Chaney who, you know, is narrating the story and they have seen cutaways to him narrating it at various points in his life. Um, I don't know. I just felt like he should have made a documentary about this period if he really wanted to because a lot of it just feels like a data dump too of like things you might find shocking about Chaney. but. I mean, I don't know, anyone who lived through a portion of, you know, the the two Bush administrations, I I don't know how much of this is really going to be a surprise. So, yeah, I mean, you know, it's, in a way, what do you really expect? I mean, when a movie like this is coming on the horizon, you kind of feel like it's going to have, there's a certain frisson to it because it's like, oh, someone's doing a movie about very recent history. That's sort of bold um, and, you know what is he going to do with it how is he going to you know how is he going to put a stamp on on that stretch of history personally i kind of preferred oliver stone's w to that were you, were you guys fans of w
0: actually missed it oh,
4: yeah. Yeah. I never did see i it. i liked it i yeah. remember attending a press screening I, I i will say i have not revisited since but um <laughs> yeah. yeah i mean it, it took a little, it didn't wasn't as comedic right if i recall as there was obviously like yeah. the comedic casting a little bit with Josh Brolin kind of cheekily playing him, it seemed a little bit.
1: Yeah, like. I mean, there was a, there was sort of a goofy streak to it, or just kind of a, I don't know. Yeah, just, I would just say goofy, maybe not even always comedic yeah, streak yeah, to it. Yeah, which seems seemed true to him. And yeah, I don't know. At
4: least it seemed to be at least telling a story, I remember. Like, you know, yeah. it didn't seem a, like a comedy sketch, uh, a series of comedy sketches would kind of. Yeah. You know,
1: I mean, Vice isn't even that always that, that funny. It's, it's, um, I don't know, and, and I, there's just always this, there's a smugness to it, you know, which is supposed to be Cheney's smugness, but it just, for me, just comes across as McKay's kind of smugness about, you know, his su- su- his su- moral superiority to his subject. Mm-hmm. It's like, okay, I get it, and, you know, <laughs> good for you. Um, um, and then there's just, like, this thudding, like, heart, heart metaphor that, that he uses, mm-hmm. which is just, like, you know, whatever. So, I don't know, vice, yeah not really worth it i mean you know pretty good title though that leaves us what what's left is there anything Oh man um no. i never i still haven't seen spider-verse i know sorry everyone
4: I mean, beale, beale street is slowly expanding people should go oh, see yeah, that oh definitely. yeah that's good definitely. news supposedly okay. it's nationwide yeah, i don't know good. when you're listening but january 11th is friday Very so good. go see that because it deserves a lot more attention than it's getting <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. It. beautiful
1: movie flexing yeah Maddie, you're a fan of Beale Street.
0: I am, yeah. yeah. I, uh, I I'd like to revisit it because I um, saw it way back in September, I guess, and have you know had sort of my my reaction to it has sort of grown and changed over the ensuing months. And I uh, now that it's having its wide release, I'd kind of like to go back and see. Yeah, you know. But so I uh, check in with me next time.
1: Yes, indeed. Um, I don't know. It's just such as very basic level of craft it's such a sum- sumptuous film I mean on, on uh, every level every department you know and I just yeah it's very disappointing when it isn't isn't even carried along on that basis quite apart from all the other reasons you might uh, you might might admire it and praise it so there's that um, now I'm just thinking about other movies that might just flag for people that are coming up uh, the wild pear tree it'll will be coming out at the end of the month that's anyway, the Nuri, 30th the 30th yeah Nuri Bilge Jalan movie um we actually ran an, a, a little thing that the director wrote about the inspiration for the film so you can find that on the film comment website um i think girl also comes out
4: yep, this, january 18th on netflix month.
1: uh or should i say the controversial french film girl no yes. she's Bel- belgian, belgian I believe, Another yes. belgian another
4: yes. belgian Lucas um, Daunt. yes
1: yeah we have a somewhat somewhat scathing <laughs> review of that by nick davis and our current is, is, um, issue yeah. um
4: and the film comment cover feature the image book opens uh-huh. january 25th Very yes soon. good point yes <laughs> <laughs> how could i forget it's a gorgeous cover it, it,
1: it's a lovely lovely cover courtesy of our our wonderful designer kevin fisher so pick it up yeah the image book which is where was that on the awards this, oh, i guess it comes out this year but um <laughs> Well, clearly, get ready, Oscars 2020. Get ready, Oscars 2020. Um, we want to see Godard on a, on a, a little a cell phone held aloft, <laughs> um, which is how he made his appearance at the Cannes Film Festival press conference. But that's that's all that comes to mind. And anyone want to have any last licks about things they've seen? Spider-Verse, Jordan, you liked quite a bit, Yeah, right?
4: Yeah, yeah like most Phil Lord Chris Miller things it's a very very entertaining first watch and I'm not dying to revisit it uh, uh-huh. it's kind of exhausting but it is in terms of a s- superhero film it kind of does uh things that you're wondering why hasn't this been done in the last 10 years like it, it definitely reinvents the will in some ways in terms of you know formally speaking I think the story-wise it's somewhat standard but uh definitely is very very well done
0: Speaking of Spider Verse, I will just chime in and say I very belatedly got caught up with Venom uh, this past weekend. Oh
1: well, tell us about Venom. I actually tried to get a director guest to talk about Venom, who said he had seen it just before an event we had, but he wouldn't.
0: (laughs) I I loved it very much. Yes, I frankly can't understand all the hate. I thought it was really smart and fun and funny, and Tom Hardy's brilliant in it.
1: What's Venom about again?
0: Uh, so Tom Hardy plays Eddie Brock, who is sort of a vice-like journalist, um, sort of like a, a guerrilla journalist who, who's big on exposés and um, of sort of corporate malfeasance kind of thing. And uh, he's working on a story about Elon, Elon Musk type <laughs> figure played by Riz Ahmed, uh, who has sent some sort of spacecraft out into space and it <laughs> crashed on landing on its return. And so oh. he's going to investigate that. And he uncovers that there's a lot more going on, uh, in this picture than meets the eye. And, uh, at some point along the line, he gets, I, I guess, infected would be the word by this <laughs> alien parasite that's been brought back, uh, that, um, it's called, and, that is develops a symbiotic relationship with him that turns him into sort of a two-faced type superhero entity. <laughs> and uh, he does a bunch of cool stuff with it.
4: And, and Tom Hardy I've heard is hugely entertaining right? he's so
0: film. good I mean I love him just in general but he's in this movie really he's I I think he's great and yeah, that's
4: an interesting cast because Michelle Williams and Michelle Jenny Williams. Slade, that's right, right. yeah yep. it's, oh, that's uh,
0: fun. it's it's all over the place and it's it's on Amazon streaming. I mean, you can you can get it on demand now, and so you can watch it at home, and it's easy. But uh-huh. I would recommend it. I thought it was great. I can't wait. They just announced a sequel, so <laughs> which I
4: heard, Ruben Flesher is not being asked back. Cause oh, really? He's he's tied up with Zombieland too. Ten years later, so. right,
1: <laughs> right. Um, for some reason, that reminds me a little of Nightcrawler when you're talking about it. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, um, it's there's so. there's definitely some of that.
1: Uh, this is also the second time that Elon Musk has been mentioned in this in this podcast. Oh. Yeah. Um, all right, that's that's probably means it's time for us to. Finish. <laughs> um, yeah. Tune in next time on the Rep Report, uh, and big thanks to Maddie and Jordan. Thank you. Thank you. You've been listening to the Film Comet Podcast with music by Greg Inge. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or Stitcher. Film Comet is a bi-monthly magazine published by the Film Society of Lincoln Center. Since 1962, Film Comment has featured in-depth features, critical analysis, and feature coverage of mainstream, arthouse, and avant-garde filmmaking from around the world. Visit us online at filmcomment.com to purchase a print or digital subscription to Film Comment, Or check out our app, available on Android, iOS, or Kindle.